Father, thank you for your word. Uh, It is truth. Would you take what is yours? Would you uh, implant it deep in our minds and in our hearts? And would you do your good work uh, through your word and your spirit? Um, Take us from where we are. Help us to take that next step. Uh, We want to be, uh, Holy Father, we want to be more like Jesus. Would you Enable us to get there, please. Uh, That's what we ask for tonight. Teach us from your word. Uh, We have eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you please speak uh, to each one of us tonight? We thank you and pray for this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight is the software. Redemption. Hopefully you're really beginning to see this idea in the book of Exodus, the book of Redemption. Um, I've been trying to talk you through the big movements. So here is Egypt, and that took a God-appointed deliverer uh, to redeem the people out of Egypt by grace. God said, do this through faith. They believed him under sacrificial blood. So they took him, took them, uh, Moses took them out of Egypt. Now, the next big place they went, which we didn't really talk about all too much, other than it would have been amazing to see it, was the Red Sea. Now, I know it's called the Reed Sea, uh, but no one knows where the Red Sea is or what the Reed Sea is. I said Red Sea. No one knows where the Reed Sea is or what the Reed Sea... Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But the Red Sea, probable, where no one knows, point... Very interesting. Anyone know what Paul says about the children of Israel and the Red Sea in 1 Corinthians 10? Paul says they were, all these people, were baptized in the Red Sea. Come on, come on. Redemption. What's next? They go into the wilderness because God said, I want to test you and know what's in your heart. So he took them into the wilderness, but there he provided opportunities where there were obstacles, and he eventually brought them to Mount Sinai because they're headed for the promised land. They just haven't made it there yet. Even at the end of tonight, they aren't going to be there yet. They're going to hang out here at Mount Sinai for a little while, get the law, get organized, and then they're going to move into the promised land. Huge concept also in the book of Exodus is, well, they had to start it right here, and then we get it again right here, and that is obedience leads to blessing. Obedience leads to blessing in the Old Testament. So this is... This is the summary in picture form. It's like the cartoon version. This is what I like. You know, you got four quick little panels for the, for the cartoon. This is the book of Exodus, but they don't get here yet. But we will get there. Promise they will make it. All right, so that's sort of a summary of what's happening so far in the book of Exodus. And what, what is God preparing them to do? Receive his presence in their camp. Now remember, 
in Genesis. Remember I said you couldn't forget anything. Back in Genesis, God is walking with Adam and Eve, right? They're having some fellowship there. That hasn't, that went away because there wasn't obedience. Now God says, I'm going to pull a a, a people apart from myself, and I am going to come dwell with you. Key chapters so far in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. Remember Genesis chapter 12? Abraham and covenant. That's where we get the promises to Abraham. Okay, 15 was where they ratified the covenant. 17 is where we find out about that it was eternal. Exodus chapter 12, Passover. Chapter 20, Sinai, giving of the law. Chapter 20. Chapter 40 of Exodus. God comes to dwell with his people. Humongous chapter. Chapter 40 of Exodus. God is going to come and dwell with his people. But he says, for me to come and live with you, we have to get we have to get the hardware next week and the software in place for me to come and dwell with you. Otherwise, I'll wind up killing you because <laughs> I'm holy and you aren't. <laughs> so, wow, thank you, God. That's a good idea. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk all about the hardware. So this week, we're only going to talk about the software, and that's the priests, basically, and Moses functioning in that role. So that's what we're going to talk about. God wants to come dwell with his people, and he does that in Exodus chapter 40. If you got a chance to read all of that, hey, the best news of the whole night, if you read through chapter 40 tonight, you don't have a reading assignment for next week. <laughs> now, if you didn't quite finish, you have another week. So chapter 40, oh, right, this is great. Here it is, here it is. Here it is. On the curtain. Chapter 40, verse 34, they finish setting everything up. Then, so this is chapter, I said chapter 34. Chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God comes and dwells with his people. End of chapter 40. That's big. God is back. Yeah. Yay, yay, God, God's back. Okay, how are we going to live with the presence of God among us? And he says, gonna give you some hardware that's gonna mean some stuff, and I want you to set it all up the way I told you, and then I'm gonna appoint priests to minister. And that's how we're going to live with each other. You are not going to approach me personally. You are only going to approach me through a mediator, through a priest. Okay. So, 
quick, we have to take a quick, tiny, tiny look at the hardware. The tabernacle, I want you to think of the tabernacle like God's palace. This is his palace, okay? Remember, he's the suzerain, we're the vassal. He's the mighty king, we're his servant. He has a palace. What would you expect to find in a palace? A throne. And so the Ark of the Covenant is his throne. Uh, Oh my gosh, so much fun stuff. I don't know if I covered this next week. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to do it. You have braved the elements. You get special stuff. The Ark of the Covenant. How many angels were at the Ark of the Covenant. We're not exactly sure how they, how they were arranged, okay? But if this is the Ark of the Covenant, you know, they could have been like this, or they could have been like this. You've seen pictures both ways. We don't know which way is right, right? But there's two angels with, with wings, and God sits God's presence is there, and so you're sitting under the shelter of his wings. Remember in Psalms? And you're going, whoa, 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 under the shelter of his wings. What, what, is he a bird now? No. He's referring to you sit under the shelter of me, your king. Represented by I sit on my throne, and there are angels, and we're sitting, you're sitting under my cover. You're sitting under my protection because I'm on my throne, okay? Ready for this? Jesus, maybe you've heard of him. Jesus, crucified, buried, resurrected. Couple of disciples go in right after the resurrection. What do they find on the slab? Who's in there? Two angels. I don't know if they were sitting there like this. I don't know if they were sitting there like this. But here's where the king lay. And the angels are there under the shelter of the wings. Something's going on there. And if you can figure it out, write a paper. I've given you a lot of good information. Go figure it out. Something's happening with that. Two Okay. Yeah. Fun. So his throne is the Ark of the Covenant. How do I approach him? Do I just knock and walk in? No. In fact, if I do, I die. So not a good way to go in. I can only approach God on his terms. And what has he stipulated? Only my priests may approach me. Only through the sacrifices that I will specify to you. Don't come any way you want to come. You come through sacrifice. Third, you better come with cleanness of mind and heart. And we all come together here in the light of the Spirit, which is going to be represented by the uh, lampstand, sustained by His Word and speaking Him in prayer, which is the altar of incense. Okay, that's a little bit on the hardware. We'll talk about that next week. But this is the only way you can go to God. You have
Check, check, test, test. Okay, good. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Okay, I don't remember where we were. We're going to have to start over. (laughs) Just kidding. The only way to God is to approach him through his appointed priesthood. All right. So, let's talk for a bit about the priests. They represent the people before God. So if we had concerns, we have prayers, the priests are going to pray for those and take them to God. But they also represent God before the people. So they want to make sure that they are doing a good job of representing the king to us. They're chosen by Yahweh to serve him. Oh, gosh. Okay, here's another one. Ready? So this, in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H, Hebrew is a three-consonant language that sets up on three consonants. Uh, in, In these days, they knew the language so well that they didn't have vowels. Um, okay, so what's an example? So if, oh, three, uh, three. Well, I'm going to use car. I know that that's only two uh, consonants. Got it. Don't write me an email. That only has two consonants. I know it. Two consonants and one vowel. Well, they would take the vowel out because they knew, they knew what C-R meant. Now, the problem is what happens if they introduced the word care? C-A-R-E. If all you have is C-R, you don't really know, is it car or is it care? Aha. So they develop a system of vowels, which are these little dots that go kind of between the, over the tops of the consonants. Okay. So what? That's Hebrew. Y-H-W-H is God's name that he gave himself. But nobody knows the vowels that go in between these. So you could call him Yahweh, but you've assumed certain vowels. Other people call him Jehovah because they've taken the same consonants and put in different vowels. So you say, where does Jehovah come from? Well, it comes from the same consonants, but they've put different vowels to it. Oh, well, yeah, that was sure interesting. Thanks, Bill. Keep... (laughs) Keep all that ADD just to yourself. (laughs) They're chosen by Yahweh to serve him, and they're chosen by Yahweh to serve his people. So the priests represent, they also serve. They serve in the fear of the Lord, and we'll talk about that for a second. They're consecrated for Yahweh's service. That's why if you got to do the reading, they went through this ritual ahead of time. And they are there to serve Yahweh daily. Remember, they had a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice twice a day. So they are to serve Yahweh daily. So they're chosen by God to serve him. God chose Aaron by his sovereign grace. Aaron didn't just do a great job one day or get an A on a test. Uh, It wasn't just because Moses said, I don't want to talk, and God said, well, how about Aaron? Get your brother. God chose Aaron 
to head up the priesthood. Now, they were also families, tribe of Levi. Now, so there were priests and there were Levites. And we'll talk about that when we get to Leviticus. Don't skip out on Leviticus. I can see the look in your eye. Oh, my goodness, next is Leviticus. I just, I'm done. No, you come for Leviticus. There are priests and there are Levites. We're talking about the priests. All right. God chose Aaron by his own sovereign grace. Aaron's first obligation was to serve Yahweh. Uh, he says, to Moses, call for your brother, chapter 28, verse 1, call for your brother Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel so they may minister to me and be my priests. So God has picked, he has identified who will be his priests. They are to serve Yahweh first and foremost. Then there's stuff that you're tempted to, to skip over because you're like, I had to read that in third grade and I bet it hasn't changed. Uh, all true, it hasn't changed, but still good stuff to read. And there's this long, there's all these clothing things for the priests. And you say, what in the world? Here we go. There is something in the world to this. So God commands Aaron and his sons to wear special clothing. Why? To set them apart. They are his chosen representatives. Two, to teach spiritual truths to his people. And three, thank you God, to prevent their deaths. Now, the king can specify whomever he wants to serve him, and he can require them to dress any way he wants. He's the king. And this is what he said. These are the guys, and this is how they will dress before they come into my palace. Because when they go see him, they're going into his palace. And once a year, they get to actually go to his throne. Okay? So he said... I'm very picky about all these guys and how they dress and what they do. So here we go. Here's what a high priest would have looked like conceivably. Don't know that this is exactly it, but this is um, actually on display in a museum in uh, Jerusalem where they are actually preparing everything for the next temple. Right? You know, there's a lot of tabernacles, right? <laughs> tabernacle one, temple one, is the one we're talking about here, right? That's the first tabernacle. God came and dwelt with his people. Second tabernacle, temple, Solomon's. What happens to that? <laughs> Torn down. Third temple, tabernacle. Okay, Herod builds one. I don't think there's any indication that the Spirit of God came down on that one. I don't think so. But there's another one. Is what? 
they did. They built it under Zerubbabel. Remember, Zerubbabel rebuilt the rubbable. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. That's way down the road. But you can write that one down for now because I'll say it again. And you'll laugh appropriately then too. That's really good. Keep doing that. Okay, so that one, that's a smaller version. But there's another temple tabernacle right around the time of Herod. Again, you might have heard him, heard of him, Jesus. He came and tabernacled among us. What? He came as a tabernacle. What happened to that tabernacle? Destroyed and rebuilt, but not by human hands, right? Another tabernacle is coming. And that's the one where all the, um, uh, it's in Revelation, and the man of sin is going to maybe help with getting that thing done. And then that one's going to be destroyed. And then there's going to be a tabernacle or temple for the millennial kingdom. And then whether that one goes on into eternity or God destroys that one and builds a new one, I don't know, but then there might be yet another one. There's all kinds of tabernacle temples showing up all throughout the scriptures. Guess where else there is a tabernacle temple? Doot, 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 doot. Right here, 1 Corinthians 3. We are God's stones collectively built into his tabernacle, each one a tabernacle that he has built. Oh my gosh. Great stuff. That's just tabernacle. We're going to do that next week. Picture of an Old Testament priest. This is what one of these fellows may have looked like. Oh, gosh, we have to do this. No, we're going to do it right now. No, we're not going to do it right now. When do we do it? Oh, there it is. Okay, we're going to get to it. Yes. All right. God specified how clear is God. <laughs> he starts with the innermost uh, layer of clothing, and he works his way out. He starts with the undergarments. Remember, he makes this curious statement. You know, make sure that these guys are wearing undergarments. Because after the fall, nakedness comes with shame. And you don't walk around naked in front of God. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm not naked. I got all these clothes on. Remember, you walk up the steps. <laughs> you go, oh, wow. God can see maybe in 360. <laughs> he sees all directions here, and he knows what he doesn't want to see. <laughs> Have them put on undergarments because I don't want to see any of that. And by the way, if I do, <laughs> I'm going to kill him. Okay, then I wore a white inner robe. Um, don't know exactly what it symbolizes. Could symbolize righteousness, could symbolize humility. Don't really know. Um, a lot of people think humility over righteousness. Why? Because one time a year, the high priest, so this guy, goes into the Holy of Holies. He goes up to the throne in only, he takes off everything but his white linen, um, his white linen robe. 
That's all he wears. He goes in in extreme humility. So it may mean humility and righteousness or, or righteousness, but anyway, he wears this white thing. Then he wears this blue robe on top of that. The two things I want to point out are, first is the ephod. That's like the um, um, shoulder things. And on top of those, epaulets, thank you. On top of these are larger stones with six tribes' names written on one side and six tribes' names written on the other side. Uh, then he wears a belt and a sash to keep the stuff from flying around in the wind, probably. And then he wears a jeweled breastplate. So he's got gems, and each gem seems to have one of the tribe's names written on it. And he wears that right over his chest, right over his heart. Uh, so these, the items that I'm going to tell you about, seem to point to serving. The ephod, the epaulets, he bore God's people's burdens on his shoulders. He's got 12 names on his shoulders, and he seems to bear those burdens. Have you heard any of this somewhere else, like, say, Galatians chapter 6? You should say yes, or we are to bear one another's burdens. Where would that idea come from? Oh, I don't know, maybe here. The jeweled breastplate. He bore God's people on his heart as well as used that to discern God's will. So he's bearing the people's burdens and he's bearing the people of God right over his heart all the time he's serving. This is what he was set apart to do. He's to represent God, but he's also to represent the people. And so how does this high priest serve God and serve the people? By bearing burdens and carrying his people always in front of his heart. All right? Let's look at the blue robe. Okay, so he wears this blue robe. What was special and unique about the blue robe? It says in the text, it was seamless. It was one piece. Huh. Did you also notice that the curtains and the tabernacle coverings were also one piece? Did you see that? Never seen that? Which is very, very curious. By the time you turn to John chapter 19 and you come across this very, very Curious verse. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Here we go. And it says that they are, the soldier, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said, rather than tearing apart, let's throw dice for it and so that they could get the whole piece, not tear it apart. Why does John mention that Jesus came and tabernacled? He's the tabernacle. 
and his garment is a seamless one-piece covering, just like the tabernacle that they're getting ready to build. If you were a first-century Jewish person, you'd be going, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) His garment is seamless. He says he's here to tabernacle. Wait a minute. Tabernacle? What? What are you saying? Are you saying that the guy inside that garment is the same as the guy inside this tent? Come on. It's like somebody knew what they were doing when they wrote this. Don't know, but maybe. He wears this blue robe. The blue robe was seamless. It has pomegranates and bells at the hem. Uh, Perhaps the pomegranates represented fruitfulness. Don't know. Some have suggested that maybe the pomegranates, you know, maybe Eve didn't eat the apple. Maybe Eve ate the pomegranate. I don't know. That's what the apple industry wants you to believe. (laughs) They're tired of the bad rap. They want to throw it, throw the pomegranate under the bus. The bells might have represented giving a faithful witness to doing ministry. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, remember when the priest goes into the holy place, not holy of holies, right? He goes into the holy place. Everybody good on that, right? Holy, holy place, holy of holies. Okay. He goes in the holy place. He's got bread and a lamp and the altar of incense to, to take care of every day. So when he goes in there, he goes in through a curtain, right? Well, how do I know he's still alive? <laughs> if I hear bells, I feel pretty good the guy's still going. If I don't hear anything, I'm probably listening. <laughs> Did I hear a thud? Did I hear anything else? You just don't know. So God was kind, and he said, as long as you hear the bells, as long as you hear the bells, he's okay. Man, good stuff. Uh, so they do the blue robe. Uh, they get to then the, the uh, turban, okay? Uh, it said, it's a, it's a white linen turban with a gold medallion on the front that says, holy to the Lord, now, can you imagine waking up every morning and putting that hat on? I mean, it's sitting there right on your nightstand. And you wake up, the alarm goes off, and it's time to get up and go do your work. And you pick that thing up. I'm telling you, you're going to look at that thing. Holy to the Lord is what it says on that medallion. What's the point of all this stuff? The priests not only taught holiness to the people, but they had to walk the holiness that they were teaching. They had to walk it, and then they could talk it. And so God picked their uh, clothing to teach the people as well as uh, that's how he wants them dressed. So they served the Lord. They served in the fear of the Lord. Oh, fear. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Today, we, keep, we, try to, we struggle with, well, what does it mean to be afraid? What does it mean to fear the Lord? You know, and you've heard, okay, so reverence, you know, a reverential awe. That's good. 
Um, nobody raised their hand. Nobody said anything out loud. But if you sat there and thought about it for maybe 30 seconds or maybe one minute, you would tell me what you fear losing the most. And if you fear losing your relationship with the Lord the most, then that is what you fear. It's not a uh, fear. It's a, I don't want to lose this. Can anybody think of something? Just think about what is that thing you fear most to lose, and you think, I, I would never want to lose that. That's the fear of the Lord. We don't want to lose Him. We don't want to lose our relationship with Him. When that is the key thing, that's the fear of the Lord. It's not a frightened sense. It's a, it is a reverential sense, but it's also, I want to love him most and put him first, and I don't want to do things that would, would cause him grief or pain. I, I, I don't want that. I, I fear losing the great relationship that I have. So when they served in the fear of the Lord, that's what they're serving. They don't want to lose this relationship that they're being given with the Lord. Then they get consecrated. So not only do they have special clothes to serve, but they have to go through this ceremony that consecrates them. They get washed. Then they get clothed. Then they get anointed. Then they're forgiven because they did the sacrifices. Then they're dedicated. Then they're marked. And then they're fed. And they eat a meal with God. Woo. <laughs> Look at all these things these guys have to go through. His priests, washed, clothed, anointed, forgiven, dedicated, marked, and then they get to put their feet under the table, as they say, with God, and share a communion, communal meal with God. They get to serve Him daily, the morning routine, a burnt offering, indicating first and foremost their own complete dedication, but also the people. A meal offering, God has provided their sustenance, but also for the people as well as strength. And a drink offering, their lives poured out in His service. Now, interesting, you never offer a drink offering without the others. It doesn't stand alone. The drink offering is, all, is poured on top of some other kinds of offerings. Remember when David won't drink the water that the guys have broken through the lines to get him? And he pours it out as a drink offering? Well, you don't pour out a drink offering by itself. What is he, what is he saying to these men? You, I pour out myself. You have offered yourselves to death in my place, and I honor you, and I pour out this drink offering basically on your sacrifice. You are willing to sacrifice yourselves, and I pour out my offering on top of that. Humongous honor. Other place in the New Testament, I think somebody named Paul said, I poured out like a drink offering, right? Because it's being added to another offering. So you don't pour these things out by themselves. 
So the morning routine, that's what they did in the morning. And then in the evening, oh, look, they did the same thing. Every day, they had their morning routine and their evening routine. Amazing. Now, I wonder, I just wonder, uh, if they had to do part, and we'll see later on, they have to do part of the sacrifice. I just wonder how they got their clothes clean every night. Right? You do the evening sacrifice, and let's just say it was more messy rather than less messy. (laughs) And let's just say living in the desert is kind of hot anyway. How do you how do you clean these clothes? I don't know. Evidently it's not important and only strange people like me think about these things. But I think how in the world would they have cleaned those clothes? Just curious. I don't have an answer. The scriptures don't talk about it. I don't know. Yeah, probably water would have been involved, but I I, I don't know how they cleaned that stuff. Uh, just weird things I think about. So they serve God daily. Let's talk about some lessons from God's priests, and then we'll finish up through Exodus. Lessons from God's priests. First, God's chosen us to serve him as his priests. I've given you some New Testament references. Our relationship with him is highest priority. If you are in Christ, you are a priest. God's chosen us to serve his people. As I mentioned before, Galatians 6, verse 2, we bear one another's burdens in prayer. We carry one another in our heart. Philippians 1, 7, we have God's word to know God's will. Remember what they had that pouch thing on the front to try to discern God's will? We have God's word to know God's will. So God's chosen us to serve him as his priests. God's chosen us to serve his people. We should serve in the fear of the Lord, as we just talked about. We've been consecrated for his service. Did you know that? All right, 1 Corinthians 6.11. I'm not hearing a lot of, a lot of uh, chatter with that one. 1 Corinthians 6.11. This is what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's run through the um, um, people who are, uh, have done very, very bad and evil things. And then in verse 11, he says... Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You have been consecrated to the Lord, just like these folks, only better because you have the Spirit living inside you. We should serve in the fear of the Lord. We've been consecrated for his service, meaning we've, we've been set apart for holy things. We should be available to God daily to do as he asks. 
Romans 12, 1 through 2. You know what Romans 12, 1 through 2 says. If you don't, you can look it up. Begin each day with surrender and finish each day with thanksgiving. When you get up in the morning, we ought to be, Lord, I am yours today. I surrender my agenda. I surrender to you. In the evening, Lord, let me thank you for what you've done in my life, my family's life, et cetera, et cetera. Let me thank you. So begin each day with surrender. Finish each day with thanksgiving. How would it change your life if you saw yourself as the priest you are? Not that you can become the priest you are. How would it change your life if that's how you saw yourself? Tomorrow morning when you got up. Tomorrow if you go to work. Wherever you go this week. Whatever you do, wherever you go, you walk in as a priest. How about into the grocery store? How about driving? If you were a priest behind the wheel. <laughs> I know I'm meddling right now. Your workplace. The doctor's office. Uh, where else do people bug us? You know, think about where people bug you. Well, hopefully not a lot of you are going to court, <laughs> but if you went, if you went, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you for going on our behalf. <laughs> hopefully not the rest of you. <laughs> let him do his job. Don't let him have to do you. So anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Wherever you go, whatever you do this week, you are a priest. Ready, first and foremost, to do God's business wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Would that change your life? Say yes. Selah. If that'll change your life, then write it down because you have a medallion on your head that says, holy to the Lord. And it's not a medallion you gave yourself. You are holy because the Lord Jesus is holy and he has made you holy and he has given you a medallion from his own treasure chest that says, holy to the Lord. Is that what people see in your neighborhood? Wherever you go, whatever you do, see yourself this week as a priest. Well, let's finish up Exodus with this question. When do the priests make the greatest impact when they prayed for others? If we're priests, when do we make our biggest impact when they prayed for others? Chapter 32, we've got the priests dressed. We've got some plans for the tabernacle laid out. It seems 
because Moses got these plans from God on the mountain, it seems somewhere in here Aaron decided to leave. And he came back down the mountain. Curious. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. (laughs) What? (laughs) Are you just saying, what? We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. (laughs) And we really don't care. (laughs) He could be dead in the mountain. In fact, that's probably where he is. Lead us, Aaron. So Aaron said... What is wrong with you? You sinners, get behind me. Don't do this wicked thing. Oh, no, that's not what he said. He said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. When Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf, Uh, Then that's what he did. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. (laughs) Doink! This is Moses' brother. One of the 70 who is up there eating with God. Just a a few weeks, maybe, before this. The people got up early the next morning. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Oh, my goodness. Then the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. By the way, didn't they say, yes, we will do everything the Lord says? Sprinkle blood on us. We're good, right? We're good, God. (laughs) We're in, 100%. Count on us. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Except for this golden calf thing. And God says, your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. If I'm Moses... I'm going, sounds pretty good. I agree, Lord. Take care of them. Zap them. It's not what Moses does. Unbelievable what Moses does. The people sin. What do they do? They make an idol of Yahweh. So they broke the first and second commandments. Who did it, Aaron? Moses' brother. When did he leave the mountain? You can go do a little study if you want. I've given you a couple of hints there. He gave the people what they asked for, even idolatry. Why? Because impatience leads to impulsiveness. 
and idolatry leads to immorality. See Romans 1. The people break and thus void God's covenant. Might have been a month. <laughs> Woohoo! Way to go, Israel! <laughs> you made a month. <laughs> and you trash the covenant that God has given to you. What does Moses do? Moses stands between the nation and its past sin. He refuses God's offer to start over with him. He appeals to God's reputation. He appeals to God's promises. And so God relents. Then Moses disciplines the people. But God, in his grace, has not um, caused the earth to swallow them up. But God, in his government, can't let this go. The king cannot let this go unpunished. And so then God decides to add some discipline on top of this. And so a plague breaks out. Uh, he sends a great plague as a result of a great sin. And he says, I am not going before you to the promised land. In fact, I'm going to move outside the camp. I can't be with you. I'll send my angel ahead of you, but I'm not going with you. Moses then stands between the nation and its future blessing. He asks for God's blessing, primarily for his presence to lead the nation and also to know him more intimately. God agrees and grants two additional blessings, forgiveness, and he renews the covenant, and then he gives them rest and says, Sabbath, the Sabbath is the sign of the rest, or of your rest. So Moses intercedes, their relationship, the relationship between God and his people is restored. Moses has stood in that gap. God accepts, as we move on toward the end of the book, God accepts their free will gifts for the tabernacle and for the clothing for the priests and all this. The tabernacle is built. Fellowship is restored. God's presence is in the heart of the camp. And now worship is restored. His praise can again be the nation's focus. Their obedience should spring from renewed love for him as well as his gracious forgiveness. This is a great thought as we wrap up the book of Exodus. Uh, Christian, what is your primary function, role, delight in life? Worship. It is your most important, I don't want to say duty, it's your most important um, activity. The most important thing you can do any given day or any given week is worship. You don't have to come to church to worship. We want you to come corporate worship on Sunday. That's important. But you can worship at home. Worship from your heart. Have you ever told God how great he is? 
how much you love him, thanking him for loving you first. The only thing you're doing is giving back to him when he's given to you. Have you ever gone to him and say, Lord, the longer I live, the more I identify with those rascal Israelites <laughs> who, when I think Moses is gone, I make a golden calf. Such is the inclination of my heart all the time. Have you found that? Do you worship God for his great mercy and grace in Christ Jesus that he's taken care of all of that? Hebrews 7.25, if you don't know that verse, it's a great one to look at. You can memorize it if you want to. Hebrews 7.25, what is the Lord's current ministry? He sits at the right hand of the Father and he pleads as our intercessor, the greater Moses, praying for us. Son, did you see what Bill just did? I did, Daddy, but I got that one. Took care of it. Did you see that? Did you see what Bill thought? I did, Daddy, but I got that one. Taken care of. It's on me. Every single one he's got. There's not a stack of them over here that he's never dealt with and said, can't wait till you get here. You and I are going to have a chat. That's done. If any more needed to be, uh, any more payment needed to be demanded, it would have happened at the cross. There is not one penny of your debt left to be paid. When you go see the Father and the Lord Jesus, they welcome you, he, he will welcome you with open arms and love. And not say, hey, you know, before we get too far down the road, let's, we need to straighten up some things that you did back here. Gosh, they caught me off guard. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't get to them that day. <laughs> Found them in this old desk drawer back here. No, not true. If you're laboring under something in your past, uh, I just encourage you to take it to the Lord. It's paid for. It's done. It is not whacking you around today. He is not whacking you around today. Are there consequences? Of course. Of course. But there's no punishment. Nothing left. The Lord Jesus has paid it all. Have you meditated on that? Have you worshipped him for that? If not, there's a great start for you this week. <laughs> Begin to reflect on, I don't know about you, but I am way more like these rebellious Israelites than anybody else. I just ate, I just ate a meal with God, and a week later I'm going, ah, it's like that didn't happen. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Such is the inclination of my heart. Some thoughts on Moses very quickly. Moses is... Natural reaction to disappointment, discouragement, and heartbreak was fasting and prayer. <laughs> that was a fake cough. I wasn't really coughing. That's convicting. Moses, whoops, Moses held, okay, 
held, in quotes, held God to his word and character. God, I know this is true about you, and I'm going to hold you to it. Do you have that kind of confidence in what the Lord Jesus has done for you? Lord, I know you've said in your word you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. I know about who you are. I would ask you to be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness as you've said you are in this situation. How did God respond when Moses held him to these things? God relented. He said, Moses, I know you by name and I will do as you ask. If that's even kind of true, what does that say about prayer? <sighs> and how little, I don't know about you, how little I wind up depending on prayer and way more on my own scheming from Abraham The people never knew what Moses went through on their behalf on that mountain. Oh, wow. Moses put God's reputation first, his own reputation, future place, or even desire for appreciation were nowhere to be found. What appreciation does a servant get? Whatever his or her master says. No more and no less. And that doesn't come usually from the fellow servants. <laughs> you have to wait for the master to hand those commendations, should there be any, out. So how does a modern-day priest make the greatest spiritual difference? You and I are modern-day priests. We need to be engaged with a group of people. In spite of personal disappointment and hurt, Moses didn't withdraw or abandon his people. If you're not in some kind of a group with, I don't care how many people, same gender though, you know, for the most, I mean, if you're in a small group, great. But in spite of personal, you're like, oh my gosh, all I do is I get in a group and people hurt me. I'm sorry. One day you'll see Jesus and it'll all be better. But until that time, get back in a group. In spite of personal disappointment and hurt, Moses didn't withdraw or abandon his people. Pray earnestly for them. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to disappoint and hurt you. And you them. Oh, did I really just say that? Yes. Moses' natural reaction was to pray for his people. By the way, Jesus' final words from the cross, his seven final words were prayers. And he's in such the habit of prayer that when he's nailed to the cross, what's his first prayer? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's so used to praying that even under that, he's praying. Me, I'm complaining. 
When they sin, these people that you're with, intercede. Seek to restore their fellowship with God and worship to God. There is no higher ministry on the earth. Pray for people you may know who have sinned and even sinned against you. Pray that their fellowship with God will be restored and their worship to God will be restored. You say, I don't know what else to pray for. Pray for those two things. Pray for their fellowship with God. Pray their worship to God. That's what we are called to do as priests. A couple of final little pictures. You've seen these uh, before. Egypt is a picture of redemption. These are things we've talked about before. The application is in green. God frees people to follow him. Mount Sinai, a picture of adoption. God entered into a special covenant relationship with these people. It was ratified by blood on an altar. It was celebrated by a covenant meal. It required their obedience for blessing. By the way, in the New Testament, we are also adopted. And as adopted, we are heirs. Heirs. What does that mean? I don't know. But Jesus says whatever he has, we are heirs to. (laughs) These golden calf-making people, these golden calf-making people, are heirs. That's what it says. Freedom should lead to obedience. His word and his will are freeing and fulfilling. His word and his will lead to fruitfulness. His word and his will protect their and our fellowship. And the desert sojourn is a picture of fellowship. Fellowship and worship must be done God's way. Fellowship, not relationship, can be broken through sin. God withdraws when grieved. Such an important point. Fellowship with God can be broken, or at least um, distanced. But relationship cannot be. You say, I don't feel close to God. Okay. Maybe you need to ask Him why. Fellowship can be restored through repentance, a holy intercessor, and God's gracious character. A holy intercessor is in heaven at God's right hand, praying for you continually. While you sleep, he is praying for your next day and your next week. While you sleep, he is interceding for you without ceasing And he knows what's best for you, and he's praying that you get it. So obedience protects our fellowship and facilitates true worship. For next time, we're going to look at the hardware. We're going to look at the tabernacle. If you finished your reading, well done. No additional reading assignment for next week. If you needed another week, you have it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the book of Exodus. Uh, It is so amazing, so relevant, so practical, uh, even for us uh, 3,000 years later. Thank you for your word. 
Uh, we worship you tonight. You are amazing. You are worthy of all awe and wonder and reverence and respect. Uh, you are worthy of all these things. Uh, help us through your spirit to be able to give you the praise, the, just the worship, the words uh, to use to express our love for you. Would you do that, please, for us this week, please? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. See you in a week.